Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. Emotions aren't actions. Emotions are signals telling us that we need to choose an action. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. We've all heard of an IQ test, the evaluation of our intelligence quotient. But what about EQ? What can we learn from an evaluation of our emotional intelligence? Well, let me tell you firsthand, we can learn a heck of a lot. My whole team recently started working with the incredible Tico Nejan, an expert in the emotional intelligence space. She's actually a friend of the show, and maybe you've tuned into her first episode all the way back in September of 2019. In that conversation, Tico led us through a discussion of emotions versus feelings and what it means to be emotionally intelligent. I always wanted to learn more from her and truly understand myself and my strengths and struggles in a new way, so I hired her to go in-depth with myself and with my team. The eye-opening details of the different subsets of emotional intelligence and how they all work together in relationships, both personal and professional, it's all way too good to keep to myself. I want to share with you what our team is working on and what we're learning from Tico's trainings. Part of her work with our team was administering an emotional intelligence assessment with a series of questions that return a score, or our EQ. The full report is a bulky document with a breakdown of all the different ways to understand your own personal emotional intelligence and ways to strengthen those skills. In this episode with Tico, She's actually going to dig into my EQ report and really put me in a vulnerable place. You'll hear my emotional intelligence challenges where I can strengthen the muscles that need work and where I'm strong. My goal for you is to hear how to analyze your own emotional intelligence through putting myself in the scary spotlight and in the hot seat. We're going in. Here she is, Tico Nejan. 
Thanks to Headspace for supporting Gold Digger. Life can be stressful even under normal circumstances. 2020 has further challenged even the most difficult times of life. For a free one-month trial, go to headspace.com slash gold digger. Thank you to coupons.com for supporting Gold Digger. No clipping, no forgetting them at home. Just tap the offers on the coupons.com app and go shopping. Download the coupons.com app on your iPhone or Android today. Get groceries, get paid. Oh my goodness, Tico, I am so excited to welcome you back to the Gold Digger podcast. So welcome back. I cannot wait for our conversation today. Neither can I. It's so good to have you back. And it's just kind of crazy to like look back and listen to our original conversation and just think about all the things that we've gotten to experience together and the work that we're currently doing. It's like so exciting. It's been an amazing year. (laughs) It really really has been. (laughs) It's been amazing. Nothing short of amazing, honestly. So can you take a moment to just reintroduce yourself to our audience? Who are you? What do you do? And then we will dive into the work. Yeah, so I am Tico. Tico Nejan is the company. Tico Nejan Wilson is my full name. So Tico Nejan is my real name. I am an emotional educator and an emotional intelligence practitioner. I get the opportunity to work with corporations, large and small, big box brands as well, to infuse emotional intelligence into their workplace. What that really means is bringing the humanity to the product. And so whatever that product is, whatever that outcome is expected to be, I believe that I come in to build better people to do that work. And so that's the way I see it. And my core trainings are always based on emotional intelligence. How did you get into this work? Like, I think so many people know about IQ, but let's dive deeper into what emotional intelligence even means. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I got into the work, interestingly enough, I spent years doing branding for companies and mostly entrepreneurs. Some built huge brands, but we would really dig into what their profits were going to be, what their missions were, the real missions, the intent behind their brands. But I found that I got stuck in love with the intent behind the brands mm, <laughs> and all the other yeah. parts didn't really excite me. And then I would get to speak and travel for companies and for organizations and for conferences, speaking about that true brand and the humanity behind brands. And that just was my love. And I recognized while most people would hire me for, hey, we want to put out that pretty product, the box, the website, the right jargon, the right copy. I cared more about the people making it happen. Mm. And then the people on the receiving end. So that middle part wasn't what interested me. It just was easy for me, but it was always the person on the input side and the person that would be on the output side that I cared most about. But I recognize that a lot of people didn't have that same love, if you will, the brands I was working with, they weren't as interested. They would say they were, but they weren't as interested. Like, yeah, 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 but let's get to this. And I was like, you know what, maybe if I just change my stance altogether, then yeah. That's all you get to hire me for. Period. Like we get when you hire me for that, and that's where we stick. And it came upon a weird day because I was in New York and I had just finished speaking at a conference. And I was, I don't know if I told you this story, Jenna. I mean, because we've talked so many times, but I don't know if you I, have. Yeah, so it was through a breakdown, if you will. 
I had prayed to be bi-coastal prior to this. And so for, I think in 2018 alone, I did something like 13 trips to New York. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be on both sides and that had nothing to do with Dallas visits or Atlanta visits or that kind of thing. Right. And so I wanted to be bi-coastal. I got that opportunity. It was in New York, the same corners I wanted to be a part of with my red lipstick and animal print and big (laughs) earrings. It was on one of those corners on a hot June, a day after a conference that I stood there and I just felt so out of place, like not in love with my work. And I remember to myself then that I had said when I became an entrepreneur, you're doing this because you're going to wake up every day and love the work. And I had Mm. fallen out of love with the work. The boundaries weren't there anymore. I felt like people were in it for different reasons. I felt like I was pushing a false narrative, which we'll talk about that one day later, of everybody wanting to microwave success. I felt like I was pushing, helping to push that narrative. And it was just uncomfortable for me. And in that moment, I heard, I believe in God, I heard him tell me, hey, you have to quit. And I was like, quit? And he's like, no, quit right (laughs) now. And I'm like, right now, right now? And now I have tears falling while I'm standing in New York on a busy corner. And I'm like, no, you have to quit right this second. And you have to call five people and tell them. And so Mm -hmm, I went down mm -hmm. my list. My husband is the last on the call. That's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) Again, that's a whole nother, nother conversation. But because he's my analytical partner, like he brings reality to everything. I knew I didn't need him. I started with the best friend who's going to say, okay, are we having a midlife crisis? (laughs) We're not. Okay. You're good. Boom. Quit. So I quit. And then I sat still for what was supposed to be 30 days off social media, just really searching. What am I supposed to be doing? And I wrote down everything, Jenna, in this red journal. And I don't even journal, but I bought this fancy. If I was going to do it, it had to be really cute. And I bought this (laughs) red leather journal that day. Mind you, I walked in tears. I can't make this up. I walked in tears and this is going to lead us to the emotional intelligence because it was me being aware of what I was feeling, but I didn't even know that at that moment. I walked to a Barnes and Nobles I bought a red leather bound journal and then I walked to Shake Shack and I bought (laughs) food and a shake and then I walked to my hotel room. And by then I had already let everyone know that I was going to quit. The next morning I woke up and I started writing in this journal every idea. I was like, what do I want to do? And I had asked myself a couple of questions. One of them were, what is it that you can see yourself doing forever? And then Mm. another one was, who do you want to see your work. In other words, who do you want to impact? Not the numbers of how many people see it, right? But who do I want to impact? Like, who do I really care that they're touched by my work? And those were two of the most important questions. And then it turned into, and how much time do you want to spend doing it? (laughs) And from there, I was like, you're going to always be a teacher. That's my calling. I've been a teacher for all of my life in some form or fashion. I actually taught formally and professionally in the classroom. I shared with your audience before 10 plus years, I taught third grade, fifth grade in algebra. And so teaching is just my norm. And I knew I did not want to give that up. But then I was like, that's what you want to lean into. You want to teach it forever. And then I just did my research on what is this that I care so much about when it comes to humans. So my minor, I should say that my undergrad is in sociology. And I've always, even when sociology was not, you know, everybody's like, wait, what do you do with a sociology degree? (laughs) Interestingly enough, I get more LinkedIn (laughs) messages for somebody who says, I have a sociology degree. One young lady just hit me up. She's doing her master's and she wants to interview me for her dissertation. But sociology was my undergrad. And I always cared about how influence impacts people. 
which is how I got into the branding. Like how do we, how does not just influencers, but how does influence impact how people think, how they purchase, how they buy, how they live, how they love, all those things. And I settled on understanding how our emotions work. And then that led me to the path of emotional intelligence full-time, (laughs) full-fledged. And so the other part of my weird self, I said, I have to do this training and certification. So it's, it's it's called a level B practitioner. So I'm actually certified to give the exams, which we did, you and I together, um, I am certified to give the exams and it's, it's a tedious process, but you have to have a secondary degree. My master's is in education. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go get certified now. so I can actually, you know, be a practitioner on top of teaching the skill sets. And I hopped on a plane, Jenna, to Canada <laughs> and oh my god, <laughs> I did. I hopped on a plane because virtual learning is not my friend for every tab open. I'm pretty sure. And for every hour, there would be a new Amazon delivery. So I said, I need to go do this in person. So I flew to Canada, stayed for a week, did my certification and voila, now we're here. <laughs> and oh this has gosh. been my path. For emotional intelligence. So tell you what emotional intelligence is. In a nutshell, it's really us being able, us as humans, being able to tap in in real time. Real time is so important in this. Being able to tap in in real time in what we're experiencing and how those experiences are shaping our feelings and our emotions. It's being able mm-hmm. to say, this is what's happening to me in real time. And I feel this way about it. But it doesn't stop there. It also includes social intelligence. So it's our interpersonal relationships with other people and not just the people in our home and our families and our work and our jobs, but even at Starbucks drive through or Starbucks isn't paying us. So forget them, whoever, <laughs> but it's, it's really being able to be in tune of their emotions as well. So whoever it is you're having an interaction or exchange with, it's being able to recognize the emotions and feelings they may be experiencing in real time. And then the third component of that is being able to choose a behavior that best suits the situation or the experience. So what is the outcome? So it's constantly being on your toes about, I feel this way. I think they feel this way. And here's what I want to happen. That is my simplified definition. (laughs) Yeah, no. Well, I love that. And I'm just smiling to myself because I'm remembering like our first conversation and you bring this up often where I, do you remember when I used to be like, I like to separate my emotions from my business and from my work and work is work. (laughs) Let's talk about that because- I think that through your work and just being aware of what emotional intelligence is, people can really evolve and get more in touch with their emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times, especially for women in business, emotions are almost seen as weakness or something that you want to hide or conceal. So let's talk about that a little bit. What are your thoughts? Oh, here's my favorite thought here lately. I almost want to coin this. I'm going to do research around it. But for now, I don't care how it spreads. I want this word to spread. So people may steal it and post it. That's fine. But emotions aren't actions. That's my thing. Emotions aren't actions. Emotions are signals telling us that we need to choose an action. Emotions are these little things going off in our head like doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. Something's going on in you, around you are happening to you that wants your attention and wants you to decide something about now. 
So when I think about emotions in that way, it frees me up from saying I'm too emotional or charging someone else with being too emotional. It's saying, hey, this is a human response to an experience. And in this human response to an experience, I get to actually choose a behavior that suits the experience. Once we see it that way, then we can get out of this funky mud of women are too emotional or you can't bring your emotions into work or know how to separate work from life. Like, I mean, now think about it. We're in a time where people are realizing there's no such thing, especially working from home, right? So for entrepreneurs, working from home may have been your jam for a cool minute. But since March, it's become everyone's way of life, you know, for the most part. And with that, you don't get to separate home from work too much, especially if you have children. You're now doing yeah. homeschool. You're now, you know, the tech. I'm, I'm like literally the tech assistant or the tech, the tech <laughs> advisor. I'm IT in my home right now. Why do we decide to get both of the kids a MacBook now? They're like, and then I'm the only one that uses Mac in the house. My husband, he uses a PC. So everything's on me. How do I cut and paste? How do I screenshot? Like my poor 11 year old. How do I screenshot? The teacher said, take a screenshot. I'm thinking she did in the middle of class. Duh. Like, you know, but all that to say, like, we don't get to separate home and work anymore. And so that to me is a telltale sign. We were doing it wrong in the first place. We were forcing something that was not actually human on us, which was to compartmentalize our lives. And when we compartmentalize, Mm. then what we're telling our emotions to do is be one way here, but don't be this way there. And how dare you be passionate about something over here, but you're supposed to somehow be able to cut the switch on to be passionate over here. And that's just one emotion, you know, but that's trust, shame, all those emotions. We try to compartmentalize those and like, oh, this only good for this place when they're all safe. All emotions are safe unless they're toxic. Yep. You know, it's funny. And I've told you this a few different times, but things that kids are being taught these days, I'm like, where was this when we needed it? Mm -hmm. But even Mm -hmm. on like Sesame Street, they're talking about like, it's okay to be angry. And it's okay. And I love that because from now looking at it from an EQ lens, because I'm so immersed in you and your work, I'm like, dang, this is so great for kids to understand that they can feel these things and they can move through them, move past them, whatever that looks like, but that the feeling it's Self isn't bad because I think so many of us are taught to just pursue happiness yep. and happy is the status quo. It should be the go-to feeling. <laughs> and it's been interesting working with a nonverbal child potty training because yes. there's a lot of emotion and frustration mm-hmm. and curiosity. And so I'm having to be so in tune with mm-hmm. those feelings because Mm -hmm. there aren't words. And gosh, I'm just like, Tico is like in my ear literally all day and (laughs) all all night. It's amazing. (laughs) And if people knew how much I do get to be in your world and then subconsciously, right? Like I'm now in your world business-wise and then subconsciously in your world because you have to hear my mouth all the time. Like you're not just seeing my posts. And so when you said about that happy, it's interesting because I posted something recently and I said that peace of mind cannot continue 
continue to be, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the way I actually worded it, but it cannot continue to be our high. It has to be our sober place. And what I mean by that is it has to be the place we land because happiness is usually the goal, right? You've never heard someone say, I will have so much peace once I make this much money, or I'll have so much peace once I find this person to love me. We usually say, I'll be happy when, but happy is a mood. Happy is an actual emotion and feeling. It's a mood. And we have to be able to know that it's not going to always stay that way, which means it's not a constant. No emotion is a constant. So while that's one of our core emotions, happiness, sadness, fear, anger, surprise, disgust, those are the six core ones that we have out of the myriad of emotions we share. (laughs) Happy is just this mood, but somehow we think we're supposed to stay there. And then here's the crazy part. When we can't stay there, we don't know what to do. So we're telling kids to hurry up and get over it. Right. So what we're simply, what we're really are telling them is try to get back to happy. Don't cry. Don't be sad. Don't be angry. And I'll take it a step further. We're usually telling children and for people who don't have children, we're telling our coworkers and for people who don't have coworkers, we're telling our partners, don't mess with my happy. Keep me happy. When we're telling people not to experience their emotion, we're usually trying to tell them, don't take me off my happy seat. But anger Mm. is not going to keep you on the happy seat in that moment, right? Like if I'm Mm -hmm. angry, I'm not, I can't be angry and happy at the same time. It's almost impossible. It's very hard to be afraid and happy at the same time. It's very hard to be anxious and happy at the same time, which should tell us that we have to stop striving for happy and really just get comfortable striving to be the best human we can be in real time. And guess what? Mm -hmm. We're going to jack that up. Because that's what human, (laughs) which is one of the components for self-actualization. And I know we're going to talk about some of those components, but being really able to say, okay, I'm human and I didn't get this right, or I'm not going to get this right, or I want to do this better. That's part of the human experience that we somehow don't allow for ourselves and watch this. You know, that's my favorite thing, by the way, watch this, right? Because I always feel like watch this is my bridge, right? (laughs) So I feel like it's the thing we don't allow ourselves. And here's what's crazy. Once we don't allow it for ourselves, there is absolutely no way we would allow it for other people. Mm. So when we remove ourselves from the human experience of emotions and feelings, right away, our goal to is to remove it or not allow it for other people. Yeah. So you don't get to be human and mess up if I don't allow my own self a place to mess up. You don't get to be happy if I don't allow myself happy. You don't get to be anxious if I don't allow myself anxiousness. You don't get to be angry if I don't allow myself to get angry. Do you see how that works? Mm -hmm. Like we have to allow space for the things that's going to happen. There's no such thing as not being angry. And I'll tell you, The emotions we have, and we did this in one of our trainings with the team, the emotions we have are no different. That is the one thing that actually connects us to the next human, regardless of anything else that we look at, race, gender, size, any of those things. Our emotions are what connect us. So happy for me is happy for you. Not what makes me happy, but happiness would show up the same. Anxiousness would show up the same. It won't be the same thing that causes anxiousness, right? But anxiousness would be the same thing between Tico and Jenna, who are from two different worlds, 
two different backgrounds, like two different planets almost, right? You know what I mean? When you really think about what people use to say what should connect you. For me, I start and I try to make companies and the structures inside of companies and the cultures that exist inside of companies start with, well, what does connect us? And those are emotions. Oh, that is just so, there's so much to unpack in that. And (laughs) it's so good. One of my friends was voice texting me the other day and she was just really fired up and frustrated about something. And I took a line from our training on empathy and I said, I know that I have never experienced something like this, but I know what it feels like to feel left out or I know what it feels like to feel frustrated. And I just want you to know, even though I've never been in the situation you're in, I honor that frustration. And it was like, it was almost like I pictured like us being standing in this like crevice between us and we built that bridge. Yes. And it was just so cool because I was able to lean on like what we have been learning, which we can talk about. But it was just cool because it was like, I get that I don't understand this, but I also know what that feeling that emotion feels like. And I'm really sorry that you're sitting in that, you know? And that's, you know what? So if I can tell you about the empathy piece really quick. So what you said is key. I personally believe empathy is, if not the core emotion that would make us better, it is definitely Mm -hmm. one. If so, I would say is second to self-awareness. Okay. Yeah. That's just my personal belief in my research and my study. I think empathy is the key for us being better humans. And you know, my tag is better humans. (laughs) I just want to build better people, better humans. And so I believe empathy is the thing. And here's what you just described. You just helped me to a T because most people will give a blanket definition of empathy being to be able to walk in someone else's shoes. And I say, no, that's where we might have the disconnect because your shoes don't fit me. They might, but chances are they don't. It's being able to walk alongside you while you're in your shoes and remembering what it felt like when I had shoes similar. Yeah. So if it was similar to my, if I had shoes that was similar to yours, so let's take shame, right? I don't know if someone is brought shame or shame is brought upon them because of, say, some they experience a loss in love that they just knew was going to work out and say they got jilted and left at the altar. How shameful could that be? But do you know how many people would readily respond with he should have seen it coming? He should have seen that that was going to happen or I'm sure there were signs there had to be red, blue and green and yellow and purple flags to say that this was not the person. Right. Because that's where our judgment goes, as opposed to saying empathy or pulling on our empathy muscle, which would say, I have no clue what that feels like personally to be left at an altar but I do know what it feels like to feel ashamed and to be in shame and to have everyone looking at you, like, look at the mess you're in. I know what that feels like. And so because I know what it feels like, I'm leaving judgment off the table for now. And I first want to walk with you through it. Once you walk with a person, do you imagine what you can do in a walk? By the time you get to the end of that walk, there's all kinds of conversations to be had. Yeah. Now we can get to it, but to readily jump into the judgment zone, that can be dangerous. You know, I mean, but empathy says, I'm not here to judge you first. I'm here to like, what does this feel like? And how would I want to be handled? Mm. 
Yeah, that's so powerful. And I know for my team, like walking through that Mm -hmm. was so eye-opening because so much of this is taught, the way you teach it is taught differently than we were taught it as children or through education. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk a little bit about the work that we're doing as a team. And then I promised that we would dive into my own EQ assessment. I feel like I'm standing naked (laughs) on a stage, but I think it's good. I think it's important. And I think it's really cool because it's really been transformative for me. And I just want to let people in on that. So you are naked on the stage, but you're in Cole Cole's underwear. So it's even worse. There we go. She has really cute ones. Okay, she's cute. So let's do it. Tell people what we do though. I I would love for people to know what you're doing. Yeah. So when Tico and I have been talking over the last year and we decided that it was going to be a really cool opportunity to just explore emotional intelligence at a deeper level and as a community. And I think a lot of times you brought this up, Tico, but a lot of times corporations do these big corporate trainings, right? You Mm -hmm. have these corporate initiatives, you're diving Mm -hmm. into new topics, you're doing these projects together. And A lot of times smaller organizations, smaller companies or businesses with smaller teams don't necessarily invest in learning or growing together in that way. Yep. And there's some sort of gap there and disconnect that you and I are like trying to fill because we're like, Mm -hmm. why is it like this? Yes. Um, Yes. But what I think has been so interesting is... I have been really focused over the last year on the dynamics of a team because our team went from two to 10, Mm -hmm. um, basically in a two-year time span. And we are all working remotely, but working so closely together. Mm -hmm. And I think that what's so interesting to me is for so long, I believed I could remove emotions from work. I could Mm -hmm. just show up and be the CEO and then disconnect and be the relational person. And that's just not the case. And Mm so we are doing six months of training where we're digging into different things in the emotional intelligence scale. And you can walk us through some of those things. Yes. Um, But what's been so incredible is watching our team learn something together, be students together, open up dialogue, and also just explore who they are at the core of their being. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think as adults, we get that chance to do that anymore. And so it's been so transformative. People are like, Tigo is better than a therapist. I feel seen and heard and understood. And taking the time to step out of the office and like into the student zone as a collective community and as a team has been groundbreaking and also just like relationally building up what we are possible of because we know how each other works at a deeper level. I don't know yes. if I did a good job there, but that's I think, where I think you at. totally did. And, and I hope you don't mind me saying a couple of things to that. One, I'm a black woman inside of this environment, right? And yep. we've created this relationship and rapport that is built on mutual respect. And I have to put that out there because it's necessary. It's necessary yep. that we understand that we can learn even from others, right? That don't, and let's be really honest, that could be an uncomfortable place, you know, but your team was up for the challenge of learning from someone who didn't even look like them. It's just not the norm that we mix it up like that, especially on smaller teams. Okay. Yeah. I'll tell you the truth. Usually if I'm brought into a large company, it's almost 
almost a checkbox. You know, we have those things mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, well, you're certified as a black owned business. So, you know, our minority business, we can bring you in because we're supposed to spend that many dollars on this kind of service. Like that's how that corporate world works, especially with certain agencies, right? Government and city officials and those kinds of things. However, yep. For here, we had decided at the beginning of this, there's going to be the tough conversation. So while we talk about emotional intelligence, I think it's the second part I want to point out is people need to understand we have applied this to the nitty gritty. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we still have some trainings to go. Like, I think our next one is on biases. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, we're open for it. It's I don't want people to think we're doing easy work. I yeah. think I oh, think it's not I, yeah, I think the important part is as much as the praise has come and I've felt I've been really humbled and honored to be such a beacon for your team, it's also come with the tears and the questions and the wait a minute, are you saying, you know, yeah. I want to say that on the JK team's behalf. <laughs> if yeah. that's fair, yeah. that, you know, and I've not been kicked out yet behind the tears. You know what I mean? So I'm saying it's the idea of knowing that the hard work comes from this is not just a yeah. soft because like you said, it's better than therapy, but therapy can be hard, right? And yeah. so that's what this work is. So I just needed to throw those two caveats in there. That one, yeah. you're having to be able to put yourself in a place to learn from someone who is from an entirely different world than you and to go broader and deeper than the typical training of just the rules. We're not just coming up with the rules of the game, you know, yep. or these are the terms you should know and these are the rules and this is how, you, but we really care to change mindsets in this team. So I wanted to point that out before we dig in. (laughs) Yeah, it's been, well, and it's been so interesting because I think a lot of people just start to implement changes without getting to the heart. And if we go all the way back to the beginning of this interview where you were talking about like, I care about the why and Mm -hmm. I care about like the actual mission Mm -hmm. beyond the product and the the profits. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. think that that's why you and I connect so deeply is Mm -hmm. it's like change has to start first with us and an understanding, like a deep understanding Mm -hmm. before we can implement work that matters. Yep. And we're so thoughtful and intentional with forward motion that it's like, why would we not continue that on in other work, if that makes sense. Yep. No. And that, and that goes to that thing of not compartmentalizing. Like if if forward motion means I have to bring the whole train, not just one caboose or not just one cabin, you know, but I have to bring the entire train in order for the train to get down the track. Now there's the front train and there's the back train. I forgot what they call them, but we know there's several parts of the train that's hooked together to get there. So there might be some priority placed in different areas. However, the goal is to get the entire train down the track. And so it is important that you do the internal work. And I commend any team. I think I told you that right now, especially because of the climate with even the racial stuff that's happening and the racial injustices and the racial divide and the racial uprising. I've now asked every team who has reached out to me, my part to me, to my people, my promise to my people is why now? Yeah, I need to know, why do you want to do this work now? And if you tell me it's because of some things that has happened, right? There's plenty of companies that have seen, you know, whether it's from COVID or the racial injustices, to be honest with you, we've seen so much. My question is why now? Because the why matters. And if it's just to fix something, then we have somewhere else, some place to start. Now, while I won't say no, depending on the company, we have another starting point. It's just not to fix it. And so that's that intent you talk about, like really going back to the why behind 
the purpose, you know, the meaning, the values of it. So, yeah. Yep. Listen, I don't care who you are. No one likes paying more for something when you can use a coupon and pay less, right? Extreme couponers are my heroes. And so I'm working on my coupon game with coupons.com. Find it in the Apple App Store or Google Play right now and get access to hundreds of cashback offers on brands like Starbucks, Tide, and Pepsi. Like, it doesn't matter where you're getting your groceries or your household items either. These cashback offers from coupons.com can be redeemed almost anywhere, even with grocery delivery services, which are key right now. You can tap on the offer to activate it, go shopping, submit your receipt in the app, Voila, you're on your way to cash back and there's no waiting for a minimum payout either. I activated a cash back offer for Ben and Jerry's non-dairy ice cream and some edge shaving cream for Drew. When he got back from the store, I just took a picture of the receipt with my phone. Now I've got $2 coming back to my PayPal account. It's so simple. Download the coupons.com app on your iPhone or Android today. It's completely free and totally easy. Again, download the coupons.com app today on the Apple App Store or Google Play get groceries and get paid. Hey you, how are you feeling? Take a moment to check in with yourself. 2020 was a test we didn't see coming and this year more than ever, I'm grateful for tools that help me check in and understand what I need to feel my best. One of my favorite tools for this is Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app for whatever your situation may be. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions that I'm a personal fan of. Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being, and it's all through clinically validated research. Headspace is meditation made simple. Head to headspace.com slash gold digger. That's headspace.com slash gold digger for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash gold digger today and get a free one month trial. Okay, so EQ assessment. Yes. What is it? How does it work? It very much reminded me of the Enneagram questioning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So walk us through kind of how it works. Okay, so the EQ assessment. So EI, of course, is emotional intelligence. Then there's the EQ, which is the quotient of your emotional intelligence. And so there's an assessment. There's a couple of different models of testing. I personally lean on the bar on. It's based on bar on EQ. And it's a model that was created by a researcher and psychologist, uh, Reuven Baron. What's his name? And so, and this was back in like 97. This is when emotional intelligence, now emotional intelligence first got its coining. You know the history. We did that in our training back in 70 something. Like it's it's been around for a while, but it had not become a practice, if you will, or sought out theory for actualization until the 90s. And so this assessment that I've been trained to administer is it's based on, it's a model, it's called the model of emotional intelligence. It's the EQI 2.0. For those who are brainiacs who are listening and want to go look it up, it's the EQI 2.0 model of emotional intelligence. And it consists of five major competencies. And then under each competency, is three sub categories or competency that makes up for that major one. So we'll break that down, you know, uh, briefly. But I, it, in other words, there's 15 
small parts that make up the large model. And then the only other part that is very important to understand about this model is the entire thing in its, as a whole speaks to your emotional well-being as a person. So it gives you this measurement of how happy and content are you in life? And I think that matters because each one, the, Oh, the other thing I know that people can see, but maybe, you know what we can do? Let's add a link for people to be able to download the actual model so they can see it for themselves. I think that could be fair and good because it's a, you know, it's a circle. And so that means it's a cyclical process. So all five of the major components or the major facets, it's in a circle. So while there's one starting point, any one of these can be the start or the finish for the entire emotional intelligence outcome. Yep. Does that make sense? So you want to dive into the five? We just yes, a brief let's over do that? it. Okay, cool. Yep. So, so there's five. I'm going to give you all five first and then we'll back up and then put the three composites in each one. And I'm doing the very brief definition just so people can understand what this testing looks like. All right. And it is scored, by the way. We'll talk about the, just remind me to discuss what scoring means at the engine of yep. <laughs> this part. I got okay, you. So out of the five composites, the core five, there is self-perception, there is self-expression, there's interpersonal, decision-making, and stress management. So those yes. are the five, self-perception, self-expression, interpersonal, decision-making, and stress management. Those are the five core composites. Within each one, as I said, there's three smaller composites that make up that one. So under self-perception, here's your three. There's self-regard, and self-regard means respecting myself. And we usually see that as self-confidence. And, you know, I say usually because when I teach it, it's like I kind of come for what we think self-confidence is, right? (laughs) And so it's first self-regard. That's what we call self-confidence. And it's the respect we have for ourselves. The second composite or the second subcategory for self-perception is self-actualization. And this is the pursuit of meaning or self-improvement. So this is actually who am I for real and where do I need to grow? And I want to throw this in. When we say where do I need to grow, it's also what do I need to get rid of? What behaviors, what toxic thoughts, what emotions that don't serve me, what habits, what have I built up as a norm that I may need to get rid of in order to improve? So self-actualization is really actualizing self, saying in order to be my best self, I must do X. And then the third one is emotional self-awareness. Now, This is different than self-regard and respecting oneself. And it's even different than just being self-aware. It's being emotionally aware. It's understanding our own emotions. So understanding how happiness plays out for me, how fear plays out for me, how sadness plays out for me, and on and on and on. It's understanding it on not just a deeper level, but on a personal level. So we can understand what an emotion is, but it's important that we understand it when it relates to ourselves and our own behaviors and our own thought patterns. And then our own interactions with other people. The next one, the next large composite is self-expression. Under self-expression, those three subcategories are emotional expression. That's the first one. So this is constructive expression of emotions. So remember when I said emotions aren't the actions? This is saying what behavior do I choose? What action do I choose to show that I can express or emote in a healthy way. 
So that's emotional expression. Then there's assertiveness. This is a good one. Assertiveness means communicating feelings, beliefs, but not offensively. And I say this is a good one because oftentimes, especially as women, we've been taught to associate said or unsaid assertiveness with being bossy, with being loud, with being in control. We've also associated assertiveness with confidence, which you notice they separate those two, right? Because they're not Mm -hmm. the same. Assertiveness just means I'm able to speak up. And hold to my belief, not in a rowdy way, not in a a destructive way, not in a way that's loud and superior, not in a way that makes me right, makes you wrong. It just means that I can be heard. Doesn't mean I'm not open to hearing you. It means I can be heard too. And then the third one for that is independence. Independence. And this one's interesting. Independence is self-directed, but watch this, free from emotional dependency. So we've been taught for so long, talk about those lessons we've learned as children, right? We've been taught to be independent, right? Like, oh, you want to be an independent worker. That's cool, but we really want to be emotionally dependent, which means I'm not so concerned about your opinion about me. It's not just practicing to do things by ourselves. So watch this. If I'm constantly independent, but I'm also an independent person who never lets anyone in, who never learns to build relationships, that's not a healthy independence. So when we say emotionally independent, it means I can actually take in other people's opinions and weigh them against my own emotions and my own opinions about myself. So emotionally independent is the goal that I don't have to go with the flow just because that's what everyone is doing. I actually can stand on my own and say, this is what I believe. And so this is how I'll behave. And then I must pause right here and say, remember, none of these are to be done or practiced in a silo. So we're not trying to compartmentalize any of these things because it'll get us in trouble. Okay. So if you're just solely like, yeah, I'm an independent thinker. That's not going to work if you don't do well with social interaction. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. um, so Mm -hmm. I just want to pause and say, we're not treating any of these as an individual goal. It's a complete goal that we're after. So the third main composite is interpersonal composite. So this is where, when I described what emotional intelligence is, and I said, it's first being aware of who you are. This is that, and being aware of other people part or portion to it. So interpersonal composite, there's the interpersonal relationships first, and that's mutually satisfying relationships. And what I find key in mutually satisfying relationships is while they may not be mutual or reciprocal in the actual deed or action, they're mutual and reciprocal and gratifying in value. So you may be the friend who makes a lot of money. You may have a dear friend who is a barista and wants to be a barista, like loves what they do. There may be a time that you're able to assist this friend financially. You wouldn't then judge this friend based on her or or call uh, levels to her commitment or loyalty to your friendship based on if she's able to then turn around and give you money. Right. So you might be the friend who pays for dinner all the time. That should not be stacked up and tallied in your head. If in fact, the person you're working with, that friend brings you just as much value because every time you're at dinner, she listens to you. Does that make sense? So we want to yep. make sure that our interpersonal relationships are mutually satisfying relationships, but I don't want that to be seen as mutually giving in the same way. Yep. The second part of interpersonal composite is empathy. 
Empathy, empathy, empathy. I find this interesting that while it's in the third composite, it's also the exact middle of this entire thing. So it ends up being directly in the middle of this entire circle. So it's in the third composite, but it's also the second part of the third. And if you love math and you would create a pie chart, it would fall in the middle. So that's my thing. Empathy is understanding and appreciating how others feel. And the appreciation is important because while you may not appreciate their action or their response, you can appreciate what they feel because you too know what that feeling is. That's what we described as being able to walk alongside of them, not necessarily in their shoes. And then there's the third part, social responsibility. And this is social consciousness and helpfulness. There's a part of us that I feel is dying when I say us, I mean humanity, that we don't see our neighbor's concerns as our concerns. And I believe in every community at some point, you really were your brother's keeper or your sister's keeper. It was important that we looked out for each other. Now we've made this thing of helping other people. It's either this thing we check off our list as, okay, I did my part, but we don't really take it in as a responsibility. I did a podcast recently. We talked about the responsibility of joy being a collective experience. Like I think it's a collective responsibility. Mm. So I really believe we have to start seeing parts of living as a collective responsibility. And that will fall under our social responsibility to others. So in other words, I might be doing really well during COVID. I might not have children at home whom I have to, and I think that we can refer to COVID because even if it passes at some point, it will be marked in history, right? As a big time. Yes. So should somebody listen to this podcast in 15 years, they'll still know what COVID is. So I'll use it as an example. You may be doing well and thriving during COVID, but you should not be thriving past the level that you don't remember. There's someone else who's not thriving with you. And it does not mean you have to be loud about what you do to help someone else, but you need to be mindful for yourself. What is it that I'm willing to give to make sure that I'm socially responsible, collectively responsible for everyone thriving? Now, while you can't do for everyone, imagine if everybody did for one other person, everybody's covered. Right? Everybody's covered. So sometimes it feels really big and not bite-sized to say, well, how do I be socially responsible? Just one. Look out for one person. Find one neighbor who may need their prescriptions picked up. You know, find one family that might need Wi-Fi and you can afford to pay for Wi-Fi. Find one family you can donate a tablet to because they can't buy a tablet for their kid. Or while they have a couple of devices, it's too many people. (laughs) They outnumber the devices. Does that make sense? So we want to make sure that social responsibility is seen as a collective effort amongst us. And again, these are Tico's theories added to... (laughs) This is my own theory. This is what I do get paid to bring into my own insight of these things. And so that's important to me. The next one, the fourth one is decision-making. Now, what does decision-making have to do with emotional intelligence? I will say everything. So one thing about this model is it doesn't just assess our personal life. It assesses our work life. And while it usually talks about workplace, even if you're an entrepreneur during that time that you're doing your work, it's still considered a workplace. So this right here makes sense to me because 
it feeds into my understanding and my belief system that we should not compartmentalize. So the reason I love this practice and chose this theory is because it does not separate work from life. It is your one person that leaves home or not <laughs> to go to work. And you're one person that shows up in all roles. It's the same person, all roles. At least we want to get to that, um, that place. So decision-making composite is the fourth one. And it starts with problem solving. Problem solving is finding solutions when emotions are involved. This was our thing, Jenna, before. Like when we say emotions are involved, okay, cool. Emotions are involved. We don't remove the emotions. We now say that because I have an emotion towards this, what do I do with it? So that's problem solving. Reality yeah. testing. This is being objective, seeing things as they really are. This is where we kind of fall short in a lot. I mean, I've seen this score a little bit lower for a lot of people because we really want things, especially people who are high in optimism. We really want things to be better all the time, but reality is not good all the time. Such is life. Life comes with crises. Life comes with loss. Life comes with grief. We're experiencing all those things right now in 2020. And so it's important that we recognize reality testing is being able to see things for what they really are. It doesn't mean it's going to always change our outlook. It means I see it for what it is right now. The third one in that is impulse control. And so this means to resist or delay impulse to act. Now that sounds easy enough, but it really is for us to say, you know what? I don't want to act right now. And most of us think that we're not compulsive or impulsive. We think that we don't do things quickly, but that's what habits really are. Habits are our unconscious responses to things that are usually normal. Whenever it comes up, this is what we readily do. That alone is impulse. And so stress management, that's our last composite. And that one is filled with flexibility. This one was fun. I hope if we find a few minutes for your thing. We want to talk about that flexibility thing. Yes, <laughs> It was good to me. So there's flexibility, which is adapting emotion, thoughts, and behaviors. You notice it does not say adapting to the situation. It's adapting emotion, thoughts, and behaviors. So when the situation arises, how do I adapt my emotions to fit it? And then there's stress tolerance, which is the second subcategory, coping with stressful situations. That one's pretty clear cut and dry. Like, how do I cope when things get stressful? And then optimism. Optimism is our positive attitude and outlook on life. Now, the interesting thing is optimism for me would probably be that third thing. So I said like the self-actualization or self-awareness was very important. And I personally think empathy. And then I think optimism. Depending on what you think options are for the turnout dictates a lot of our behavior. And that in a nutshell <laughs> is <laughs> in this big nutshell, but considering that, you know, this is really a long training that uh, yeah. in real life, that in a nutshell is what the EQ measures. And I think I told you, remind me about the scores, right? You yeah. want to do this, yep. you know, how it scores. So, yeah. you know, that there's a total EI score. We look for an average range. I'll say the numbers, not that it matters, but we have a range of somewhere between 60 and 140. The average person falls somewhere between 110 and 115, 120. That's usually the average for your total EI. And then each yeah. one I just described, they have their own separate scoring. So there's a bar for each one of those on your actual report. And it makes up for your total EI. Yes. Well, and it's so cool because... 
when you can see the circle and how everything is connected, it, it kind of helps make sense. So we'll drop yeah. that into the show notes so that people Definitely can see what that looks like. But what was really amazing was kind of looking at our own assessments and then mm-hmm. walking the, through them with mm-hmm. Tico one-on-one. So every one person on, on the one. team <laughs> took a one-on-one call and walked through them. So let's walk through some of mine. Let's yes. start total EI. So mm-hmm. I was at 114. So overall, that means that your score, you have a very positive and strong emotional intelligence. It means you fall where most people would aim to be at that 114. So as I said, you want to be somewhere between 110 and 120. That means, okay, overall. And the reason I say overall is because it's important that people understand that no one scores perfect even though there's no such thing as perfect on these, no one scores in that range on every composite. And because our listeners can't see it, I want to make sure they understand this isn't about scoring on every composite there. So Jenna did not score in that range for everyone. And then that's how she got the score. The algorithm is created that it takes both the things that you're stronger at the composites you're strongest at with the composites that are not as developed or are not your strength or strong suits. And it combines them for overall emotional intelligence experience. So I think that's important because I don't want people to think that, okay, she got this overall score and then everything else. So Jenna's now perfect. No, Jenna had scores. It was like, okay, so since we know this was a low point, we want to lean here. And that is the essential part of this testing. You really want to find your strengths so you know to lean in on those so they can help you to compensate for the places that you lack. Yes. And we should also note that my mom dove in on this training too. When I told her about Tico and what the work we were doing, she was like, oh my gosh, can I do this? And so it was really cool to go through my mom's assessment and my own assessment. And there was so many similarities, which I thought was just really cool. It's been very connecting with us as we work through this together and to have like your mom, your best friend, your support walking through that journey with you is so cool. It was awesome. And it usually speaks towards, so when I see, when I do people who, whether they're couples or whether it's the mom and, you know, child, when I see that it's because of the influence people have on us, right? And then some of it, of course, is genetic. So it would make sense that you would be close to mom, not just because it is genetic, but because you guys are so close. So you learn and you've you've become mom, you know what I mean? Like you probably see yourself as being a lot of ways like your mom, right? And into her. Thing, as I'm saying, whatever, whatever irks you about her is probably the thing that you're like, oh, and I do it too. You know what I mean? Exactly. I the same thing. So that's interesting that you noted that between you and mom, that's common. Yes. Okay. Let's dive on in. So let's talk about my highest score and my lowest. So let's do it. Highest overall composite was self-perception. And when I saw these results, I totally felt like it was correct because I am usually really good at being able to speak to what I'm feeling, my self-regard, my confidence. I think a lot of people always say, how did you get to be so confident or where did that come from? And the self-actualization, that pursuit of meaning, I am so driven by my mission and that goal. And it is so clear to me. Mm -hmm. So that totally made sense. Is there anything you want to touch on on that one? I felt like that was like, 
Boom. I think it's yes. spot on. And so let's just tell them what the three scores were inside of since they're listening and they don't get to see it all, like your actual report. So while yeah. your your score for self-perception was your highest, right? Yep. Inside of there, you had self-regard, which was 113, self-actualization, yep. which was 122, and emotional self-awareness, which was 108. So that's proof that it's not about just all of them being high. So emotional yep. self-awareness is where not understanding our own emotions, yours was a little bit lower. So yep. that wouldn't be the strongest suit, but overall it's the confidence. So while Jenna understands her, she has a high self-regard and the self-confidence and you respect yourself. You also have self-actualization, which was really excellent. You are open to learning. Jenna is open to, Hey, I need to know more about myself so I can get this better. And so it's yep. not that you go through life thinking, I don't want to be wrong or I don't want to mess up. It's if I do mess up, I have to look at this. Like you're kind of yep. charged with this consciousness that says I have to do better at this, but self and self emotional self-awareness is okay. Maybe you don't understand, which makes sense. Cause like you described a minute ago that you had gotten so used to compartmentalizing. I'll be interested, yep. uh, interested in what that score would be in another six months, right? Because yes. now that you know, okay, you're not supposed to just disregard your emotions when something arises, I wonder what that score would be. Yeah, I'm excited. I will have to do like uh, another like, assessment oh, yep, yep, later so on. Just see what this looks like, yeah. <laughs> okay, so my lowest score at 106 was interpersonal. And yep. this has been something that I've been super challenged by, by you and it's made mm-hmm. me just look a lot deeper at life, at relationships. So inside Mm -hmm. of the interpersonal composite, there are interpersonal relationships, which was my lowest response by far at a 94, which is mutually satisfying relationships. Mm -hmm. My empathy was actually decently great at 110. And then social responsibility, which is social consciousness and helpfulness, 112. So that interpersonal relationships, mutually satisfying relationships. Let's talk about that because that was my lowest of lows. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. That's just no, matter right. of fact. No, what we know that was, that wasn't the strength. That was not where you would lean into readily to say, okay, this is Jenna's strong point. Okay. So it's not your anchor. And when yes. we say that, if you notice, it's because of the interpersonal relationship that caused that overscore. And so we dug really deep, Jenna, into where is it that it comes from that you don't have the mutually satisfying relationships. And if you don't mind me sharing, we discovered and uncovered that Jenna relies on very sturdy, old, stationary, and I don't mean old in a negative way, but relationships that have history. Yes. And so all your closest relationships are with people who have who have history. But interestingly enough, you've learned you're learning very new relationship because you tell me about the neighbors who you would have never imagined creating this amazing bond with. Right. But because that's not Jenna's way. Jenna leans into where the comfort is with the people you're used to. Because Jenna's able to just be Jenna. And if we could also add that because Jenna didn't really plan this part of Jenna, (laughs) it was not necessarily the part of Jenna you planned, right? Of course you wanted success. Of course you wanted to meet goals. Of course you wanted to have something to give to your daughter, but you didn't know what it was going to look like, right? And so it took on a life of its own. And so I think personally that caused some places of, whoa, let me put up guards. And so we discussed how you are really able to give, 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 but with 
low expectations of receiving yeah. back the mutual yep. benefits of yeah. your giving. Can we talk about this? This yes. is so good for me. What were you thinking? So one of the things that like you brought out for me that I really was kind of reflecting on was the guards are up. And I think that the biggest thing that we uncovered, and this makes sense to me as an achiever, as an Enneagram three, if we bring that into the party, was that I worry very much about people's experience with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much want people to have a positive experience, which is probably why like going to public events for me is so draining because mm-hmm. I want everyone to experience the best version of myself, often at the expense of my own energy and my own like self-care. And so events exhaust me. But I also, what you brought out for me that like very much opened my eyes is that I tend and like to be in the position of being the giver because I hate feeling like I owe someone something. Like Mm -hmm. I have an actual problem Mm -hmm. with feeling like someone did something for me and I cannot repay them this instant. Like Mm -hmm. I've had that issue Mm -hmm. with money. Like Mm -hmm. I never like owing anything. I hate loans. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have had to do a lot of like uncovering, like where did this come from? But it was so funny because after you and I dug into this, two days later, Drew and I were on a bike ride and I got a flat tire and my freaking flat tire. And I called our neighbor to come Mm -hmm. pick me up versus waiting for Drew to drive back and get the car and come get me. And I was like, I need to get comfortable at asking for help without being able to offer anything. And it also reminded me that people like to also help, you know, like sometimes we can not want to like put people in that helper position. And so it was just funny because I'm like, I'm practicing, I'm asking for help. I have nothing to offer in return, but like, it was just, you know, sometimes it's these like obvious little steps that Mm -hmm. can lead to much bigger ones. Yep. And yeah, I mean, it was just very eye opening that I don't always have to be and put myself intentionally in that position of being the giver that I can also Mm -hmm. receive. And especially I remember us getting into, especially to reinforce negative thoughts you have about people showing up. So in your mind, a lot of people aren't trustworthy then you can sometimes reinforce that negative belief by being the giver, knowing they're not going to be able to give back. And then it's like, see, this is why I find it hard to create new relationships because I know that people just don't show up the way they say they will. And another thing about this thing is we talked a lot about it being a balancing act, right? So a part of a huge part of this theory is that not one of these work by themselves. So when you look at, say, when we say, talk about balancing and we look at interpersonal relationships, that could be lower, believe it or not, because of your flexibility score. And that flexibility (laughs) pointed out so much. So you just described that you don't like, you like events exhaust you, right? So. Jenna is a very planned person. And one of the things we unlocked with the team who's very on it, I mean, strategy and strategic and systemized one-on-one, right? Is that flexible. Most people were like, oh, I'm flexible. And then when I (laughs) talked what flexibility was, and then if they saw their scores, like, oh, maybe I'm not. So it's easy for us to say we're flexible in situations we've planned and can control. Yeah. Yes. But it's not. So it's like, oh, yeah, we can push that recording off because we need to do this. Right. That might feel like flexibility. 
but going to an event where you can't control reaction in the crowd and the space and their timing and you get to an event and what if they're running late? And so, gosh, everything I planned for the day is thrown off. That pulls on a different type of flexibility. Because it's no longer your plan. It's no longer in your control, which is interesting that your flexibility was at a 102. And that's just one of the ways where this thing works to intersect one composite or one subcategory with another. Right. And I remember on the call when you were like, okay, raise your hand if you think you're flexible. And then like all of us were like, "Uh and then we like pull open the results and we're like, oh, wow. And like some people were angry. Like they were like, I thought it was flexible. Like, oh, it was so funny. I had so many people were like, wait a minute. So we need to discuss. There was a couple of those things. They were like, wait, I, all this time I assumed, but then after us getting into it, it's like, oh, no, maybe I'm not really the person who's as optimistic as I thought. I'm usually yeah. optimistic yeah. if I think that. So we talked about the this. Outcome will you, be. Yes, yes, there you go. Your yes. optimism is 113, but we had some people who scored low. And I want to say this for your audience, because I bet you there's people who are listening and in their mind, oh, I'm always optimistic. But there's a difference between no matter what happens, I believe the outcome can be good versus I sure hope nothing goes wrong. And there's some people who are living in high stress because they're trying to keep everything intact. And then they will call that optimistic. So when I see scores that are lower in person who readily says, oh, yeah, glass is always half full. Matter of fact, it's always running over, even if it's empty. And then I see their score and optimism is low. Right away, I'm thinking, here goes somebody who's managing the optimist, who's trying to manage the situation. So I'm optimistic because I have it in control. But what happens if real optimism is being able to say, you know what? Regardless of what comes my way, I believe after dealing with the real emotions, right? Whether it's the grief, whether it's the loss, whether it's the mistrust, whether it's the shame, I believe after dealing with those things, whether or not it happens, I can now bounce back. That's true optimism. I think I have that. Even in like crummy circumstances, I genuinely can, you know, look back on all the things that felt like life ending. Like, I can't believe this is happening. I'll never get over this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I can see mm-hmm. that. And it was cool too. Cause I think my mom and I shared a very similar optimism score. That was great. Let's go back to my negative parts. Yes. Or my <laughs> lower scores. Yeah, Cause one that I thought yeah. was not negative. One of the things that I thought was really interesting was while interpersonal pulled me down in the mm-hmm. interpersonal composite, mm-hmm. then empathy and social responsibility. So that understanding, appreciating and social consciousness and wanting to be helpful mm-hmm. were actually in the decently healthy range. Yep. And so Let's talk about how you can balance, because I love how you teach us. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to fix something, yep. but you can yep. lean into those strengths to strengthen the overall composite. Yes. So here's the deal. Keep it in mind that what we're always practicing, at least with me, is how to tap in to the emotions, right? And so yep. the way that this would work, just using those three composites or those three subcategories to the interpersonal composite is this interpersonal relationships was low compared to empathy and social responsibility. So we know your social responsibility, your care for others 
is there. Your ability to understand what others may be experiencing is there. So anytime something Mm -hmm. rises up, an emotion or an experience that's drawing on an emotion that creates for a negative imagination for Jenna, when it comes to a relationship, we have to practice leaning into the strength. So if you know interpersonal relationships is not your strong suit, you lean into the empathy and social responsibility, not to make up for it, but to literally get you out of the place of, hey, so if I'm empathetic, why wouldn't I believe that this person can be empathetic too? If I am socially responsible and believe that it's my collective duty to be there for someone else, I have to believe that my worth exists for someone else to believe the same thing about me. So interesting you pointed out that story with your neighbor, right? I remember hearing a long time ago a speaker say that sometimes the person who's always like, oh no, don't worry, please don't do that. I got it. Never wants to receive gift. You really don't see how sometimes you might be blocking someone else from doing the exact thing they were called to do. Yes. And so if this person is supposed to be a giver and here you are always saying no, 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 you're essentially not just being gracious and humble and like, you know, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to have people. I don't want to owe people. You're robbing someone else of their purpose. Mm. And if you do that, that falls into that interpersonal relationship. We have to be considerate of what does me existing, my person, I'm saying me as if you could see me pointing, me, what is my existing in this moment? How does it feed into the existence of the other person right now in real time? Mm. Yes. Because again, it's not about us. So that's how you lean into the social responsibility. It's not just about me. It's about other people. So that says when it comes to me interacting with other people, I have to slow down just a minute and say, what could me opening up give to this other person? That doesn't mean you just yeah. do it, you know, willy nilly <laughs> and, yep. and free and just toss it out. But you at least want to start being a little bit more conscious of the behavior. Mm, that's so, so powerful. Before we wrap up, yeah, give an overall right assessment of my EQ for people yes. that are like, okay, so what does this all mean? Or where are we going with this? Walk mm-hmm. us through. Mm-hmm. So oh, like I said, this whole thing at the end of the day tells us about our personal well-being. And at this point, we are living in a time that self-preservation, and when I say preservation, I mean mental health, I mean joy and peace of mind are important. So when you take this entire assessment, it tells us your well-being indicator. And for Jenna, you scored at 113 and that's your happiness score. And I'm doing open air quotes for happiness, right? Because we know what happiness really is, but it means how satisfied are you with life? The goal is to live a life that's satisfying, that's gratifying, that when I wake up, I'm happy to have to do. And when I go to bed, I'm grateful that I got to do it. So the goal yeah. is, and that should be in our work and our relationships and our parenting. We want to make sure we bring that same existence to the table in every arena of our life. So whatever hat you have to put on in that moment, you put on a different hat. And I've never heard myself say this, but I'm going to say it now. You put on, <laughs> a, you put a different hat on the same person. So while there's, we wear plenty of hats especially women, right? We wear plenty of hats, but it needs to be the same person 
who wears a different hat. And that's what this emotional intelligence gives us. It says, I'm able to operate as a healthy and whole person, aware of myself, aware of others, and produce great outcomes. Mm, That is so good. I just have to say... for just the work that we're doing and the way that you're just uncovering so much for each of us, I think just as human beings and especially as a mom too, it's been super eye-opening for me. I feel like we're able to take this and implement it in the workplace, but also just in our lives and with our loved ones. And Mm -hmm. I know that that has just been so invaluable to the entire team. Mm -hmm. So many people are like, thank you for bringing (laughs) Tico. But it's just been such a joy to get to go kind of on this path with you and to uncover and discover just new things about the way we are as humans and new ways that we can focus on being good humans. And so I just want to say thank you so much. And you know what, Jenna, maybe we'll come together. Listen, the last time we did our podcast, we put something into the world and it started. We said, let's just change the world, you know, and that was in our off conversation after we hit stop on record. And Lord knows we had not planned on this happening, but it did. So I'm now putting something out there on air. Maybe we'll do something for your audience in the parenting realm because that's so important to me and some of my new consumer facing products and services I have coming out. I really want to do something with parenting. I really want to undo the lessons we've learned that we're uh, subconsciously passing on, like just be happy, get over it. You're okay. Um, So maybe one day we can come up with something that we do because like you said, it speaks to parenting for sure. Oh yeah. It's been just super, super eye opening. And I think a lot of things I remember on the first training, the first day you were like, tell me about this season. And I feel like it's been this like exploration and questioning season of just where did I learn this? How was I taught it? How does it make me feel? How do I either want to follow that path or go the exact opposite direction as a mom? And so it's just been this like discovery year, I think for so many of us and uncovering a lot of the different things that we've been taught along yes. the way. And, I and think I'm glad you said beautiful. year. I'm glad yeah. you said year yes. because we got into, I remember you threw me that darn loop uh, <laughs> <laughs> in our first conversation. And that was over a year ago, well before 2020, when we yeah. talked about white privilege and yeah. the idea that we discussed that. And now we're in a time like now I can say that you've been curious about yeah. the unlearning and relearning yes. and learnings and all that good stuff. But that was over a year ago when we had that conversation. I was like, this was not what we said we were going to talk about <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> but we did. And there we and, went. And, and so you are, again, there goes your self-actualization though, right? Like you, yeah. you really keep things in mind and like, hey, I need to get this right. At the very least, understand it. Yes, yes. And oh that's my the gosh. beautiful part to me. Oh, where can everybody find you and connect with you and learn more about you and your work? I know that everyone's going to be hunting and searching. So give us the easiest way to connect. The easiest way is everything is Tiko Nejon, T-I-E-K-O-N-E-J-O-N dot com. It's at Tico Nejan. So social media is at Tico Nejan. Website is Tico Nejan.com. And then we have some fun stuff coming. So yeah, Tico Nejan.com is where you'll find it. And Instagram is my favorite playground. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and being willing to do this. I know it was kind of out of the box, but I love just kind I of revealing a little bit of the work we're doing. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. I think it's fair and fun to let everybody see the work because it challenges all of us to do the work, yes. right? <laughs> to do the work. Yes. So I'm enjoying the work. I am enjoying the work. 
Oh my goodness. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It has been just incredible working with Tico and having her work and teach our team. And what a year to just be a student and be open-minded to learning and growing and evolving. I know that this emotional intelligence work has been so eye-opening for me, for my mom, for parenting, for just so many different reasons. And it's just been super interesting to uncover the different thoughts and processes and learnings that I've had throughout my life and find the areas where there is room to grow and shift. I know the word of the year is pivot. We've said it 8 million times on this show this year, but pivoting into new learning has been one of the biggest hidden blessings in 2020. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. For more information and for an illustration like Tico was talking about, you can head to today's show notes. You can always connect with our show notes at golddiggerpodcast.com. And if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to this show so that you never miss another episode. It is my pleasure getting to be in your earbuds today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. 